Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode is about minimal viable product, uh, which I explain in the podcast and is an important element to building good, resilient products and spending the right time doing the right things. But it's not a cure-all, and it might not even be right for what you're trying to accomplish. In this podcast, we really go through when it works, when it doesn't work, and what the goals are for how to build, how to use minimal viable product. Uh, and I think you will get a lot out of this. It'll make you think about what should go into making product decisions. Enjoy the podcast. Back in the day, I was I was a big Eric Reese minimal viable product adherent. Um, right, this goes back what early agile days, about twelve years maybe, um, with this idea that um, building you know building out full products didn't make sense that you would you would need you know you should do a minimal viable product to test the market and just for completeness right part of what Eric Reese was suggesting was you know back end you know do mechanical turk work don't build any of the support infrastructure don't build right don't worry about billing don't worry you know anything you can do you're just testing the market to see if there's you know market uh you know cash potential for it and the idea would be that you would if if the first, that was the first thing to validate, and if there was demand, then it was okay to to mechanical Turk, you know, have humans do the work, and you would you could automate and fill in in the in the back end. Um, and he had a whole bunch of examples. I, I have some, some I know some friends who did things like that, um, uh, mostly consumer type products where you would fill in, you know, you would automate as you went. Uh, and I would, in, in my experience, building technology stacks, data center automation and things like that, we would try to do minimal viable products for what we built. And it was a disaster. Um, because in automated systems, filling in with mechanical Turks is you're, you're literally undermining, it's taken me years to really appreciate, appreciate this is that you, you don't get to um, have patches where the systems don't work or require manual intervention or have to get filled in. That um, in a lot of the technology scenarios that, that we deal with, you know, those, actually, those, those gaps actually are very problematic. Um, And so, and, and what I saw, and there's a, there's an open source dimension to this, but does that, does that, does, you know, sort of this MVPs not working for certain major categories of technologies, like you don't build an MVP car, <laughs> um, you know, uh, really sort of changed my thinking on how that, that whole process works and what is acceptable as an MVP and what people can understand as an MVP. And I'm, I'm much more skeptical today than I was for, but I'd love for somebody to come back and say, no, 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 it, it's MVPs help me do this, or they, they, they do help you build products that make sense. Um, I'm See, curious. MVP is an overloaded term, and okay. that's the problem. So, so 
I'm doing I'm doing a doing workshops right now with uh, with clients, and we define an MVP, and I'm using big giant air quotes sure. um, because it's the minimum product that they're willing to uh, to buy is really what it comes down to because because we're consultants, we build software for them, and this right. is the point at which they can sell the process to their managers. It's, it's not the point at which the, value the defining viability is important. Yeah. It's not the point at which which the software that we're building is valuable to the organization. It's the point at which they can get managers to believe that it is valuable to the organization. And that's different. And and each organization defines it in different ways. A lot of our MVPs that we end up calling an MVP is has a lot of nice to haves in it, to be honest. Um, so you're using the right term MVP for okay. what you're talking about. And I'm and I'm with you on that. I never get to use it that way though. So does it does it help you define the product or does it help you eliminate feature sets that aren't I mean that to me the value here is let's not build a feature set that we don't need yet um you know right. let's not worry about billing right or, or credit card like like we're doing a whole bunch of work to create small small billable units and we have no idea how to automate the credit card transactions yet oh yeah no that's great but I don't care yeah I don't care um what 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 we what what we and and by we i mean the whole organization i work for right we're, we're using mvp as really the first milestone that's that's really all it is it's not even it's there's nothing minimal about it it's not it's <laughs> it's 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 about you know using the term to sell the service does it does it let you like defend a feature set from having to be developed? Like like yeah. that's that to me it there yeah. there is value here where you can be like, hey, yeah, I know this would be a nice to have, like, you know, but we we don't uh I mean I, I can give you examples from our, our life, which is it lets us remove complexities. Right, things that we don't things that we don't know how to solve yet, we push out of MVP because they're 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 not bound. So that means we can't put them to a milestone. Right. What what we do is we we put tech spikes in during the MVP process, right? As part of as part of moving to our first milestone, we put tech spikes in to solve those questions to answer those questions rather so it, it it's useful for us but we're not using the the true definition of an mvp so do, do, do you see people who build build out an mvp knowing they need a feature set like create the menu items even but then if <laughs> if you know, to see if users click on those menu items, but then they're like, wah, wah. it's, you know, 
we didn't, don't didn't build this yet. Yeah. Okay, so in in our case, I followed similar kind of methodology to what you described, Rob. Okay. But I think the key words here are viability and what that means by definition to whoever it is that you're talking to because an alpha user or a beta user is not the same as an investor. Very and you true. have to keep that in mind. Um, and we also built it on the basis that knowing that it was an agile development plan and we were going to keep iterating and keep iterating, that we should go from the outset to build in the minimal functionality for that feature set that may be a nice to have just so that it was there as part of the original design and development and we could either pretty add add more or whatever but the building blocks were there right but then you, you get to iterate over them and refine yeah. them as we, as they're yeah well we did 25 iterations in three months mm -hmm. but the what first did an, one what did what did an iteration look like yeah a full build for front end back end uh all of the back office systems that the product was talking to because although it was designed as a payment processing capability, uh, very secured on a mobile device, it, it put calls into back office systems like uh, MES, ERP, PLM, supply chain, uh, even down to a very granular level of putting a poster get from into a spreadsheet. So, we had to build all of that and we were building it cross cross platform. So when we built the stack and when we built the MVP, we built it for um, three audiences. What first was investment. Uh, and we actually used CAD and simulation to do a lot of that work for that purpose, because we knew that they weren't going to look at the code, uh, not at least at the outset. And then we would only mm -hmm. release it as, as necessary. Uh, the second was for alpha to get people on board as quickly as possible. But our alpha testers were not individuals, they were corporations. And thirdly, for the beta, for the wider use of the consumer, how it was actually going to work. And okay. we did some funky stuff in there. But that, I still that have the original because you you didn't actually know what the process was and still until people started using it. It's, oh it's no, we knew what the process is. should be. Should be, and but not everybody. But people needed to work the process in order yeah. for them to to comprehend it. Right. Well, our process was actually described in a video that we made to show. Okay, here's how you go to a store and pay for something with a credit card or a debit card, right? Because we use Interact all over the place here. Um, that's our bank to bank, you know, immediately withdraws from your bank account. That was one. Uh, and we filmed somebody using it with the phone and what the interaction was like. And this was not rehearsed. It was just, I'd like to pay with my phone. And they walked into um, Burger King because that was one of our first clients, um, and said, here's how I want to do it. And, and, and all, the, all of the stuff 
what was what really interested people and, and came out about it was that the inefficiencies of the operation of that franchise was what was more telling than somebody trying to use their phone to pay. And so we we had purposeful ideas in mind when we did this and, and shot the video and did the MVP and everything else. And we just kept showing where the value was from the corporate perspective because we were talking to their inventory control, we were talking to delivery times, logistics, ERP, everything from their side, as well as the consumer experience. But that was just us. Quick question. Are, are we yeah. mixing a minimum viable product with a beta or early access? Is it in fact a product in, in the scenario you just described, Joanne? Um, I would say it actually was a product because it was fully functional. Okay. To answer, uh, well, to at least respond to um, Rob's question about where it works and, and is there a place for it. Um, when you're dealing with automation, which of mm -hmm. course you are, um, what I've found many times the is the MVP is in fact a product. It is minimal in that it, because of quite frankly, I won't say lack of trust, but just no knowledge of its behavior or the degree to which it's uh, complete. The minimum viable product in an automation situation is something that is uh, A, non-invasive and B, is not, is not given permission to make changes without, you know, kind of human assistance or human human intervention, and what that says is when you're dealing with an MVP in the management and automation and configuration, most of it is going to the monitoring, measuring metrics side of it and recommendation side, but not closing the loop. And that is closer to what an MVP is when dealing with these kinds of configuration, orchestration, yeah. uh, automation. And that's a very useful way of talking about what an MVP is for a a product that is destined ultimately to be a form of automation and make under automated control changes to a configuration or to whatever the universe of discourse is. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, from, from our perspective and, and my partner in crime in that company who is a very talented technician. Um, we actually got permission 
from the franchisee and the franchisor in that one location to be able to take some, how, how would I describe this to you? Almost look, almost build a virtual back end, a replica of what they had. And that's mm. the reason that we were able to do it. I mean, we jumped through a lot of hoops for them and it was all on a single like server in that location that mimicked exactly what it would do in real life. So we virtualized the environments, et cetera, et cetera. But to your point, Rich, I 100% agree. Would, we would just you wanted consider to consider that a this. prototype or an MVP, and maybe maybe I'm maybe there's not a material difference. Well, that's a good question. Case, I'm going to make the case that it is a product. Mm-hmm. It is. It can be put into production. Yep. Whether it's going to be on its own were it to, you know, mm. stop its progress in terms of adding functionality, would it be a successful product? Would it be um, long-term commercially viable? Probably not. The whole point here is it's it's an it's an entry level or it's a it's a first phase or it's a it's an initial product can be put right. into production, can be given mm, service levels and and go through a, a commercialization and licensing and, and and use. It is minimal because it's right. probably not complete enough to be a commercial success. I but and to me, what you're describing is a great use case for an MVP. And uh, let me, I'll take it even one step further, right? Joanne was talking about a pay per phone app at a, at a restaurant, right? A, an MVP in that case could be as simple as somebody walks in to a restaurant with pay per phone and you have something that, that simulates the read, like they have to go through all the operations to pay. They Correct. read it. You never actually charge them anything and there's no back end that somebody watched them do it and then brings them their order. There's all you're doing actually, is, is, is finding the human and is seeing if the human interaction works, creates a positive experience. Yeah. Nothing but, else matters. But is that a product? Actually, I guess my question yeah. is, is it a product or is it a prototype? No. Okay. So, so let me address Rob's point. We actually did have a payment gateway that we built hmm. uh, and through a third party that was, you know, PCI compliant and all of the, the rigmarole that goes with that, because building one of those yourself is an extremely extensive undertaking. And right. the reason that we we actually set up the accounts and did put the charges in and we paid the charges, et cetera, was to show the process because we had to, to, to any CFO or even investors that were asking about it to see where we were getting our revenue from. Um, and we wanted that as a proof point. So we actually did set that up. In, in Whether you want to call it a minimum viable product or a prototype, which I consider after minimum viable product, um, I would say it was more product than MVP because it actually did work, it did process transactions, and people did pick up orders. Um, So in that sense, 
it was a prototype of what would come. The only part that was, um, I think, totally MVP was the simulation of the back office systems that it would connect to because mm -hmm. they were virtualized environments and no code, no uh, entries were actually made into those back office systems. They were all simulated as what would happen if. And here's where, you know, a trigger for an inventory uh, depletion would trigger a, a call to a, a warehouse system to have logistics provider or 3PL bring more buttons, for example, but which were not exactly system. where MVPs are supposed to be, right? Um, that you know, that's that's to me that's exactly the line. It's like yeah, don't wire in any back back end systems until you know that the the front end system is going to need to scale, because it can be really expensive to wire in the back end systems. Um, I know that's why we virtualized it. Yeah, you know, yeah, we, we got permission exactly from right. them to say to tell us which back office systems they were using, uh, what was franchisee, what was franchisor. These were going to be all corporately owned until they figured out how to pass the cost to the franchisee directly. And our revenue streams were coming from multiple places within the same organization. And, you know, the whole thing was call it an extended proof of concept that resulted in a full-blown prototype that could be used, but probably would not have scaled. Mm -hmm. I, and I, this, this to me is exactly, this is the benefit of the MVP thinking, but I found it's, yeah. it's hard for people to get their heads around sometimes. Cause what you're literally saying is like, I don't, you know, it would cost us, you know, we'd have take years to earn back the money on what it would take to wire in all these systems. And it's, it might be worth it, but not until we understand the, 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 the customer interaction, the product interaction first. Right. Um, and, and, and that's and right. Yeah. Just to be clear, this was before the um, quote unquote protected or encrypted parts of phones. Uh, so we had huge issues with um, building all that encryption and cryptography and how it was going to be used and the keys and the timeouts. And literally this thing was very sweet from the security point of view, simply because the fact that you could make a transaction at the drop of a hat, but it would time out on the credentials until the next time you used it and be absolutely rendered impossible to use. You had to be purposeful about making a transaction. And this was a, um, it was quite a long time in design. It took me two years to design it. Okay. That was my little side hustle. Um, but once we started doing the actual coding and the codification of it, Guy was really adept at doing that. Unfortunately, the the um, the situation was one where we were made offers so early on in the process that it never actually came to market. It was taken out as a defensive play by the acquirer. Okay. Would I like to do it? Most profitable way to build the tech technology, though. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Would I do it again? Absolutely, because there's a lot of flaws in the system. But again, the thing that emerged out of it more than anything else was the absolute inefficiencies of fast food or quick service restaurants and even fast casual ones. And that made a dent in the industry from a disruptive point of view. And today I'm seeing a lot of that work 
coming back in robotics, you know, the robots that are delivering your order and taking your order and whatever. But in in test, and, and this is my other question, what do you consider in the MVP nomenclature versus prototype the testing? How complete is the test or does it need to be in the MVP? The, the, thing that I, the thing that I think is important from an MVP perspective is um, really it's a, an assumptions question uh, testing thing um, because there, there are a lot of places in building out these, these processes where something you assumed would be easy mm-hmm. um, doesn't, doesn't work out to be easy or doesn't has dependencies that you might not have expected to have in the process. Um, right. And maybe, maybe my MVP failures are actually, um, you know, us uncovering lessons, <laughs> lessons learned from, from these perspectives. Um, it's an, but that, I mean, when, as you build up that prototype, part of what you're, you're trying to do is you're trying to find the most risky or unknown area of that development and do that first. Um, whereas in a lot of cases, people build products, they build a whole bunch of easy support technology and things like that. And then, um, and then they get to the, the actual thing that's going to drive the market or not pretty late after they've built a whole bunch of inflexible infrastructure around it. Um, yeah, and that's what we were trying to avoid. I mean, in our case, the biggest stumbling block that we found in testing had nothing to do with the technology. You know, it, no, quite literally, the biggest bane of any fast food franchise in the world is people driving up to the window to pick up their food and spending too much time fumbling around for either their credit card, their phone, money, anything of that nature. It adds so much time to the process <laughs> that it costs them millions. And it's always a surprise for those people that do that. You yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just so there with you. Well, and it's 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 not just fast food. It's it's all lines where you have to pay. I really love those people that get up to the line to get their credit card out once they get there. <laughs> I'm, I'm well, about to go. One, sorry. <clears throat> I, I'm about to go to Austin City Limits, right? And and they're they're incredible on the logistics on this. Everybody has a wristband to get in and out of the the show, and the wristband you can tie to your credit card and use that to pay at the register. So you just tap your wristband to the register and it pays, which should be as frictionless as you can possibly get. And it's still amazing to me to see how, how much people struggle <laughs> with that process. But, oh dear. I don't um, doubt it for a minute. <laughs> but I mean, that's why I asked the question about testing, right? Because it's, it's a human use case yeah. Um, and we were the only way that we could figure out to get around it from, from who we were trying to sell to at the time before, you know, the acquisition was to give people a QR code sticker and have a camera pick it up mm-hmm. as they were approaching the, the payment part of the journey 
um, getting their getting getting their product and and paying for it, so that the camera would pick up the QR and immediately, you know, the rest would be technology of of getting the payment from a credit card, whatever they had set up as their default. But we couldn't overcome somebody digging out change from under their seat. And we also couldn't influence the fact that drive-through drives in in most fast food restaurants um, are set at a particular width to make it hard for you to go around those corners and whatever, but they couldn't add a second lane because 90% of the time they don't own the land, they're renting it or leasing it and they can't build an, they, they only have a certain amount of square footage. So you couldn't say, look for change under your seat, pay with your credit card, pay with your phone or pay with something else and have four lanes, like an easy pass type thing. It wouldn't make a difference. It was interesting. These, these intrinsic limitations are, are inherent in the designs of the system. I, I, go ahead, Larry. I'll, I'll tell no, the story in a minute. I would just, I would, I was just going to come back. Joanne, you said that the prototype comes after the MVP. We do a lot of prototyping prior to the MVP as well. Right. So, I mean, the prototype, you know, when when does that actually fit um, around? I mean, how does that go into the product journey? Where do we see that? In, in my view? Mm-hmm. A fully functional prototype is the MVP. And that may be wrong. It's just my perspective because having done this now twice, I look at it from the point of view of what worked with the minimal of the minimal and what was demanded thereafter. So rather than go through, you know, 20 iterations uh, to get from minimal, minimum viable product to prototype to have some level of acceptance, whether it's investment or, or users, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I find that the more you put in at the outset, if you can, the better off you're going to be. So I equate the two. But for me, prototype doesn't mean it's pretty to look at, but doesn't work. It means fully functional. And that's what I what I appreciate with the MVPs was not building a whole bunch of of fake screens. Um, to, right, I mean, so uh, we're going to get into my my battle scars because right, we compete with with products and in industry that have built flash demos and some you know some some graphical you know, wizard thing that maps to what tests well from a market perspective and executive sales perspective, the actual implementation of what's behind that is incredibly difficult. Um, And that, that to me, those people aren't building MVPs. They're building, although that's what they'll describe as an MVP. An MVP is like, yeah, I can get somebody to say, I'm going to buy you, buy this from you whether or not they can build the product behind it, uh, they haven't cared about. And that's, you know, then again, it built, you know, if, if you built the product the other direction, you're going to build a whole bunch of stuff that, that people don't need, which is sort of like well, our story. Like we set out to build, you know, BIOS raid patch. Cause it was breaking everybody we knew. And, and, 
the reality is, is that solving that problem actually sets off a cascading series of like, well, I don't care about that until this. I don't care about that until this. I don't care about that until this. And by the time you've, you've figured out what they do care about before they can get to that problem, you've actually built something different or you've, you solved a different problem for them. Not bad. Um, sorry, Joe. Uh, what were you going to? Uh, no, I was just, I, I totally agree with you. You can get caught in this, this like um, hamster on a wheel syndrome. We were very purposeful. And I, I think Larry probably goes down to, may go down the same road, but I don't know. Um, we, we spent a good deal of time and went to, I would say a hundred different franchises, whether they were quick service, QSR, or fast casual or whatever. And we sat there watching and, and clocking how long a trend, how long did it take for somebody to walk in, order, get the usual screw up issues that people have, the errors from the cashier side, they, they put the thing in wrong, they weren't listening, they were tuned out, uh, or any part of the process of actually making you a burger. And we timed it all and we were very specific in what our intent was. So when we got to that hamster in the wheel kind of point, we looked at we looked at the the processes as our driver to what we would build in, what would be a feature later. We didn't care how it looked, like the the GUI was or the UI was like blech, you know, very, very black and white, no pictures, no images, no branding, no nothing. We did not care. We only wanted to show this will speed up. If you're, if you're selling 600 meals in one hour between 12 and one, and that's your peak period over Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, that we Mm. can reduce Mm. your time and increase your flow from 600 meals to a thousand. And we used as our proof point studies that were done with McDonald's, which sells 60 million a day in meals average cost, consumer cost, time in, time out, churn, all of that sort of stuff. And that's how we do, we, we chose to build the features and functions that we were going to go with first. And I have one minute before I go to a meeting, but I want to stay and, and talk because you're right, Joanne. It's, I, I think the key is that the thing that, that we do, I have a UX person that's doing, um, I, I dropped in Envision. They do, as Rob was saying, they do the pretty and my job is to make sure that everything they do in the pretty is, is actionable, things that we can actually build. And so we tend to go from both sides, but it's it's you need both. safer. Yeah, it's safer to come from the tech side up. I agree. From the UI side down. If you go from the UI down with no tech behind it, then you get to what Rob was saying, you get people selling things that can't be built. So I'm sorry. Uh, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, that's why I spent two years designing it because I wanted to make sure that even with changing technology, you could have the technical resources to be able to build this thing out there's, there's before you could whole, do anything else. I, I, I'm going to uh, throw into the backlog, a, an open source version of this talk too, because I actually think that there's an open source um, <laughs> variant 
on MVPs sure. and open source. Mm -hmm. Because um, um, I think open source both helps and completely breaks what we just talked about. Um, um, and it always will. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. The other side of the other side of this is its applicability for I'm going to call it, you know, web web-based or consumer-based um, offerings versus the kind of infrastructure products that you're dealing with it with uh, rack end. Yeah. Something that, you know, I can put in place as a website um, <laughs> has no, has really very little, if any, distribution issues. Uh, I can change it and modify it pretty much on the fly. And the next time an end user signs on, they're going to see something different. Um, the notion of an MVP that um, adds or provides enough value to keep a customer coming back and allows the vendor to add value, add functionality based on end user activity, you know, on the fly and, and kind of evolve it in a, in a rapid fashion. I think that's a legitimate uh, design and development methodology. Yeah. It is not appropriate for a lot of the other things that you've been talking about. <laughs> our, our, the, the idea that, that we could have have uh, data center automation that was anything short of, you know, product product ready and and fully featured was laughable and yeah it, it, exactly. pursuing it was a mistake right we, exactly thank yeah. you rob appreciate this it this was fun i i got a lot of insights thank you um we'll come back to it next week is business value mapping that'll be fun that'll be really good have a good weekend everybody you too Bye. take care Minimal viable product is a really key way of thinking about how we build products together. Uh, and clearly, we only got halfway through this topic. I think the bringing in open source will really open up the discussion and make us think about how communities can build products together um, and what works and what doesn't work in those cases. Uh, I would love for you to be part of that next conversation. So join us at the 2030.cloud and contribute what you've learned about building products and building great products, uh, both uh, what's worked and what your scar tissue is. Uh, we learn a lot from both. Please join us. Uh, I will see you at the 2030.cloud. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly or 
just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.